This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains explicit language and racial slurs. Monique has had a storied career in entertainment. She's been a successful stand-up comedian, the star of a hit sitcom, a late-night talk show host, and an Oscar winner. But she's also had a contentious relationship with the industry and alleges she was blackballed for not playing by Hollywood's rules. In her candid new Netflix comedy special, My Name is Monique, she deconstructs her own public persona with keen observations about her childhood and family. She also reveals a long-held secret and, as always, keeps it very real. I'm Aisha Harris, and in this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about the stand-up special, My Name is Monique. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Joining me today are co-hosts of the podcast Fanti, journalist Travel Anderson and journalist, writer, and producer Jarrett Hill. Welcome back, Travel and Jarrett. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you both about this because I know you have long histories with Monique and I've even interviewed her. So this oh, is, yes, is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. So My Name is Monique is Monique's latest stand-up special. In it, she looks back on various points in her life, like being put in special education in middle school and encountering a racist teacher, growing up with a queer aunt and uncle who were shunned by the rest of the family, and her relationship with her husband. She also opens up about her bisexuality. The special is presented as Monique's reintroduction to audiences after years of weathering negative publicity around her career. So a little background on Monique. She first broke out as the star of the hit sitcom The Parkers, which was a spinoff of Moesha, and in the stand-up film The Queens of Comedy. From 2009 to 2011, she hosted the late-night talk show The Monique Show, and in 2010, she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role in the movie Precious. Monique famously refused to do the kind of campaigning that's typically expected of Oscar nominees, and according to her, this led to her being labeled as difficult and effectively shut out of the industry for years. She also had a huge falling out with the film's director, Lee Daniels, that subsided only recently. And in 2019, Monique filed a discrimination lawsuit against Netflix for offering her a lowball deal for a comedy special in comparison to peers like Dave Chappelle and Amy Schumer. The case was settled for an undisclosed amount, and we don't know how much money Monique received for My Name is Monique, but it is streaming on Netflix now, so mm-hmm. clearly something was a little cleared up uh, there. Or mm-hmm. She got she got her back. <laughs> <laughs> she got something. She got something. <laughs> so, um, Travel, let me start with you and sort of just your initial impressions of My Name is Monique. 
So I should say, Jared and I watched it together. I want to start with something positive and upbeat and fun and great, right? Because I love Monique and, you know, she is one of my favorites. Not this preface. Not this preamble. I know, right? <laughs> I know. I, ha- I hate myself. I know. My God. But I expected something different than what we got. Mm. Let me start there. So that might have been a- on me as a viewer, as a consumer. I wanted more than what we got because I was thinking of this older version of Monique as a comedian, which we haven't seen much in public, right? Unless you were going to her stand-up shows across the country. We have no modern visual reference in a way of Queens of Comedy, in a way of I Could Have Been Your Cellmate, which is one of her other specials um, that I love. And so she's a different type of comedian now which requires the audience, I think, to be different types of viewers of her content. But her special, it made me think. I did find it to be very revealing and an emotional journey, but I didn't have as many rollover, gut-wrenching, heavy Negro slap-on-the-knee type of laughs like I'm used to with her comedy. Mm. That's what I will start with. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking forward to teasing that out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Jarrett, let us know. What were your thoughts? I was going to say, as uh, the Negro slap on the knee (laughs) comedy is, uh, (laughs) we we did not cover that in our forthcoming book, Historically Black Phrases, available September 19th. Yes. Plug plug, plug yourselves. (laughs) Plug yourselves. (laughs) But Travel said, I expected something different and then kind of eased into I expected something more. Um. I enjoyed it. Um, I would say that, like, I enjoyed her storytelling. I Mm -hmm. laughed and those different things. But it is definitely not what I was expecting. I was expecting more from a production value (laughs) standpoint. That kind of was off-putting to me. I remember at the end having a very original thought that was completely mine first. (laughs) I told Travel, I was like, I'm going to say that. Travel actually compared this a lot to Rathaniel, which... uh, Oh my God, I had the same thought at the end of Mm this. And so we actually did that episode here on on Pop Culture Happy Hour, talking about Rathaniel and, Mm -hmm. and how it was a different kind of comedy special. This felt akin to that. And Travel talked about also just now saying how... Monique is a bit different as a comedian now, but I actually think that's something that we see in a lot of comics that we've seen over the course of decades, right? Sure, yeah. If we think about Chris Rock, if we think about Dave Chappelle, if we think about... We see this happen a lot in men because men tend to have dominated in the way that, that we see in a lot of industry. But like when we've seen people in these roles for a long time, we kind of see them evolve or we see their politics kind of grow and change. We see them more comfortable with sharing parts of their story. I think we've seen comedy kind of start to change a bit, especially with like these people who've been out for a longer time where we see them, you know, kind of approaching the comedy in a different kind of way that is more storytelling, that is more, that has a bit more of drama in the storytelling, if you will. So I enjoyed it. It's also not what I was expecting from a big, long time expected Netflix comedy special. It didn't feel like that for me. Mm. Yeah, I kind of fell in the same place as you did. And I come at this special not as like a someone who's seen every one of her specials, but like she has been a part of my life as long, almost as long Mm -hmm. as I can remember. I watched The Parkers. I watched Queens of Comedy. Um, Of course, I saw Precious, although 
I saw it when it came out and I don't ever need to see it again. It's like one of those one and dones, not because of her performance, but just like, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just too much. She's always been there. She's always been a reliable presence. If she pops up, you know, you're going to get at least two to 500 belly laughs yes. in like a single scene. She is that person who shows up and she will give it a hundred percent. I also thought she was like fantastic in Bessie, the yes. HBO movie about Bessie Smith and she played Ma Rainey. Beautiful performance. Um, But I came out of this kind of feeling the same way where I didn't really laugh out loud much. Like I nodded my head a lot. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is interesting. I'm getting these stories. She's trying more than I think her peers are like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle to sort of like straddle this weird place of being a veteran comedian and sort of the old school comic view slash queens kings Mm -hmm. of comedy era and where we are now with comedy where it's often a little bit more it's a little bit less observational humor and more like storytelling and a lot of kind of like orators in a way like telling stories Mm -hmm. and telling stories to have a like direct emotional visceral impact i think it worked sometimes and then other times i felt that tension really really kind of coming to the fore i was like i understand what she's saying but is this still a little offensive to the people who she might be trying to reach and reach out to? I admire her for trying. And I think that she, at heart, is very empathetic and she mm-hmm. cares about the people. If she doesn't like you, she's going to say it. <laughs> but if she does, if she does have respect for you, she's going to say it. But she might not be like the perfect messenger in some people's eyes. I think that it's really interesting to see her at this moment because like, unlike someone like Chappelle or Chris Rock, like she seems to be really kind of trying to bring herself into the current sort of comedic landscape while maintaining so much of what makes her who she is. Cause the humor is still very broad, you know? Absolutely. I actually think the special is yet another example of how great Monique is at physical comedy. You ever notice how a hippopotamus bitch walk? Do you ever notice how when that bitch walks, she always walk like, nigga, come get it. (laughs) (laughs) Nigga, I'm ready, nigga. So when my husband say to me, bring that hippopotamus over here, nigga, come get it. Um, but also, you know, if you if you are ever familiar with anything that Monique has done, you know that she, as a fat black woman, is a woman who uses her body in the course of how she tells her jokes, how she tells her storytelling, even in these many roles that you've already listed. Her physicality is so important to the work that she does. And I do think that that still shines. But that note that you make about her and folks who come from the generation of comedy that she comes from, figuring out some more expect uh, more successful than others how to maintain that core but also exist in this current world is a super interesting one because i do think she is a lot more successful at having these conversations around identity and these conversations around what she's doing, you know, with her current marriage. And she's doing it in a way that old school comedians do. You mentioned Comic View, and I'm glad you made that very specific Black comedy <laughs> reference because it's important here, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, in terms of the style of a Monique, right? But then there's also this more emotionally charged, slower pace 
you know, storytelling thing that does feel different than, you know, her idol, as she uh, talked about in one of the um, promo bits they released in advance, Richard Pryor and his comedy style. Mm. I want to figure out if we're being fair to her or not, because I think that while I expected more, more funny, more this, more that, I also want to acknowledge that Monique has shown us throughout her career that she's more than a stand-up. Yeah. That she's an actress, that she has a real worldview and a perspective. And so I don't know that the intention may have been, right, for it to just be hysterical laughs one after another, after another, after another, after another. And I also... Uh, I'm intrigued by the piece that you brought up, Aisha, about about offense. Oh, yes. Monique, in this, she has a conversation around special education that's interesting. And, Mm -hmm. like, she comes to it from a place of being a person who was in special education. And so I think that for her and some others, it gives her an authority to be able to speak about it in a different way than someone who's Mm -hmm. not. There's a word that she uses, right? A word. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. She was actually able to use this word in a way that I think, right, is not going to be painful for people to hear. I was intrigued by that. And I think that a lot of comics are always trying to figure out how to be able to say something they're not supposed to be able to say or to kind of push an envelope a little bit. And sometimes they do it well and sometimes they don't. I think we've seen Dave Chappelle really do a poor job of that. And I'm intrigued to see how people are going to respond to Monique in that specific instance as well. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because that was kind of the exact thing I was thinking about when I thought about really kind of walking that fine line between, you know, being, I don't know if the word is respectful, but like, and and offense feels so like limiting as well. Actually, let me just play a short clip um, of that story that she's telling. And she's actually talking about a girl in her special ed class who, uh, her name was Elizabeth, and she wore a helmet. She's talking about uh, hearing Elizabeth laugh for the first time. And she actually does the laugh, and she she didn't realize she was laughing. So let's hear a little clip of her describing uh, Elizabeth. But when she took the helmet off, she could speak as clear as you and I. She just had no control of her motherfucking neck. And then you can't see it, but Monique is actually doing Mm -hmm. an impression of Elizabeth and her neck rolling all over the place. And she does this Mm -hmm. for like a good five to ten seconds. Like it just like goes on and on. You know, I think 25, 30 years ago, if she or another comic had done something like that, it it would have come from maybe a weirder place or a place that feels a little more uncomfortable. Or it it would have felt as though she was punching Mm -hmm. down. I wasn't sure how to feel about it, and I'm still parsing it through, but I also realize, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how I feel about it. But I'm, I'm curious to, to hear how people who actually are disabled, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how they feel about it. Um, I haven't seen anything yet, but I do think I can see the argument for why there is, like, Monique is doing this in a way that doesn't mm-hmm. feel hurtful. Or might not feel hurtful, if that makes sense. I don't know what Elizabeth thinks about these jokes. Monique does go on to say, we've been friends since middle school, and I love her, and she's a person that um, seems to be in Monique's life. 
But I don't know how Elizabeth feels about the jokes, and I don't know how the general public, who kind of fits into that category, would feel about it as well. So that's that's something that I'll be interested to see in coming days and weeks, how people are talking about it, if they're talking about it at all. I also just want to throw out one thing that just, you know, ticked me off, and it's less about her performance and more about this kind of gets at the point you mentioned earlier, Jared, about the production quality, I guess. The editing on her special Mm. is disrespectful, Mm. by which I mean (laughs) there are moments in which you can easily tell that like, oh, she probably went on, you know, another 45 seconds or whatever with something, but the way they cut it, it felt abrupt. They've inserted in really weird places laughter and shots of the audience that for me and my viewing experience took me out of it just a little bit. I was just like, oh, it showed a little bit of the seams. Yeah. And I feel like there are other specials that I've seen, you know, that editing that that happens for all specials, right, just feels better elsewhere. Um, And it just, it, it kept nagging at me every time. There was a joke about something deeply black that happened on screen and they flashed to a white person in the audience and it felt off to me. Mm. Um, so I was like, that awareness wasn't present in this special. And because of the specificity of Monique's blackness, which informs everything that she tells us in this story, that felt off to me. Can can I just touch on that a little bit? Because I think there's also something interesting in some stuff that ain't our business. <laughs> right? Like, this point about the production value and the editing and all that kind of stuff really makes me want to know what happened in that settlement. Mm. But I'm curious about what that settlement may, how that settlement may have impacted the special, because I have a hard time believing it didn't. Yeah, I'm like, it just felt like there was not the budget there that we see in other specials, specials that even feel adjacent. I think about Hannah Gatsby, for instance, her special Nanette on Netflix. That felt like a high production value event. Chris Rock just did this live special that was a a unique special moment for Netflix. That felt like it had a lot of money behind it. And for an event that has been years in the making now, I was a little underwhelmed with that much development for the audience, right, to have been waiting for this for so long. Monique asking us to protest a number of years ago and, you know, really speaking about how much money these other people were getting. It just made me wonder about what how that settlement impacted this actual special. Well, you have to wonder if maybe it's just she got all the money and then they were like, we're going to sh- shirk mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. <laughs> on the uh, production mm-hmm. values. I also felt as though the transitions weren't always very smooth yeah. and like were, left me a little confused. Yeah. And there were cuts. Like I noticed the cuts. So it wasn't like she herself necessarily was the one who didn't have the strong transitions. It was just the way it was cut. Yeah. All of that aside, I kind of want to go back to the Rathaniel mm-hmm. aspect of it because I, I will say that like what I admire about her sort of coming out in a way, in a very unqualified way about her bisexuality is the fact that she also takes the church to task mm-hmm. and really kind of calls the church out. Like, and I say the church, like the black church, just <laughs> which which is many denominations, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, just like the black church that we, as we understand it, the black American church in the same way that Rathaniel and Gerard Carmichael did. And I'm wondering, like, are we having a moment now to some extent where we have Black public figures, especially Black queer public figures who 
are kind of reckoning with their relationship to the church and its effect. Is this something that's like, do you feel as though we're having a moment or we're like on the precipice of having a moment? Because I do think it's interesting within a year span to see these two big comedians, one older, one younger, old school, new school, kind of reckoning with the church in a way that 15, 20, like for years would not be embraced in the way that it might be today. I've been saying for a while now that I'm really interested in the studies that will come out in 2030 and 2035 about what 2020 did to us as people, right? Not just as Black people, but as human beings and what depression looked like, what anxiety looked like, um, what our faith um, looks like, right? And how, how we show up in the world. I think what you're talking about could be a result of the pandemic because I, so many people have had so much time in the house reflecting on, you know, their lives and their their faith and their education and the way that they think about themselves and their families and all kinds of different things. And I can say personally, I've had that experience, right? My own relationship with church specifically has been very up and down and storied while my experience of faith has been a little bit more steady. I actually think that it probably has something to do with the ways that the pandemic has kind of given us time to sit with these things. And now we're kind of starting to see the fruits of that. Hmm. I mean, I think that could be it. I think a person like Monique, as she has said in this special, she feels like she was born with this secret of her sexual identity, right? That she had to keep a secret. The social sociocultural shifts that happened from the point in which she was born to where we are now and maybe perhaps where she was when she, you know, made that declaration to her husband, who, just quick side note, (laughs) what Monique articulates in this special (laughs) about the reasons why she calls her husband daddy, you know, what she sees as her place as the (laughs) wife of a Black man... You know, all of that respectability, Mm. you know, (laughs) deeply problematic, like old wave, you know, feminism, uh, white feminism type stuff that she's articulating was like, my God, today. But, you know, that's just a... a, (laughs) That's what I meant about straddling that line between, like, comic view and... It was really weird. (laughs) Wherever we're at now. Um, It was really weird. But... (laughs) <laughs> but she's at she's at a place both personally and then we as a world right are at a place differently than than we were when she started where she feels like she can say this you know not only publicly but also in a special that she knows a whole lot of people are going to watch because of all of the publicity and whatnot around it versus a Gerard Carmichael's experience which has a little bit of that um but definitely not as much and so i am hopeful that we will begin to have more conversations like this in this way with folks who are at, you know, this level of visibility. But I will just note, most often the people who do end up taking to task, you know, the church for the ways in which it treats, you know, LGBTQ people are more often the LGBTQ people. We need the straight people, the cis people, but we need them to start ca- commenting about the ways in which yeah. it has also negatively impacted their lives as cis people and straight people to see how they treat LGBTQ people. But hopefully, perhaps, you know, this is a, a start um, or a restart, perhaps, right, to to this particular conversation. Yeah. No, I, I think both of your points make so much sense to me. And 
as a straight person who didn't grow up in a church but did have family members of the church, I do feel <laughs> now I feel some sort of obligation to say. Yes, you're the problem, Aisha. You are the problem. I'm the problem. <laughs> All right, working on myself after we finish this conversation. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, so before we leave uh, and I go and get myself straight about uh, how I need to call the church Not out. straight. Um, Not straight. Sorry. Get... <laughs> You know what I meant. I'm 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 curious. Like, where where do you think Monique goes from here? Um, it may not sound like it, but I love Monique like a lot. I own Fat Girls, okay? Which, if you don't know what Fat Girls is, it was one of her movies, um, which <laughs> actually talks a lot about the experiences that she was having in real life around her body and fashion and whatnot. I used to watch her. She had a beauty pageant for Fat Girls back in the day called Monique's Fat Chance on Achichen. I used to love that show. Anyway, so I really love her, and I, mm-hmm. I think that she's a fabulous <laughs> talent that has a lot more range than people give her credit for. Um, I want to see her on screen as much as she wants to be on screen because she's great at it. And and I look forward to where the comedy specifically goes from this reintroduction period. I'm along for the ride because she deserves a whole lot more and better than the culture has given her. And so I'm looking forward to it. I hope we see greatness even more so after this. I'm rooting for Monique. You asked it, does it feel like a reset? It didn't. Not in the way that I wanted it to, but I think it may have been. Um, Her having a restored relationship with Lee Daniels, which we actually saw on social media a number of months ago, the two of them on stage having a moment of reconciliation and like publicly, you know, displaying that. I think Monique is one of the most talented people in the industry, and I think she's demonstrated that, and I think the Oscars recognize that, and I think that, you know, her work has reflected that. I'm really curious to see what she wants to do next. I would love to see her in more roles where we get to kind of see her express her brilliance in the various different ways that that it shows up. It didn't feel like the landmark moment I was looking for, but I'm hopeful that it was indeed. Yeah. I'm rooting for her, too. I want to see her all over the place. I would love to see her in, like, a Knives Out movie. Like, I think yes. she would be great in that sort of environment. Um, I don't know. Put her in an episode of Grand Crew or something. Mm. At the very least, getting having some sort of reconciliation with Netflix, I think, will hopefully help her get to that point. If that's what she wants. Whatever she wants. I just want her to do what she wants. <laughs> Whatever she wants, yes. Well, we want to know what you think about Monique Special. My name is Monique. You can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Travel Anderson, Jared Hill, thanks so much for being here. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us back. And this episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow when we'll be talking about the new Nicolas Cage film, Renfield. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. 
your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.